0: Want UI UX that actually stands out and gets noticed? Our friends at Revealize brought punchy personality to our SaaStock 2022 look and feel, bringing the whole event to life, both on our website and in person. Go to revealize.com, that's R-E-V-E-A-L-I-Z-E.com for a free UI UX consultation
1: today. You know, the best, I think, B2B marketers are... Uh, really good at pattern matching. And what we find is that um, the consumer world is about five years ahead of the enterprise software world. And then the D2C world is maybe 18 months to two years ahead of us.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thumer. And I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Alex Thumer, CEO, founder of saasdoc Delighted to be joined today. And I think, again, because you've been on the podcast before, uh, Anthony Kennedy, who is the CEO and founder of Audience Plus. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks, Alex. So happy to be back. Yeah, yeah, great, great to be on. Like a couple of years, it must have been. Like I, I can uh, Maybe when was it? With, when you were with Front uh, that you uh, last on?
1: It was either Front or, or Tail End of Gainsight, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, been, it's been years, and certainly in a kind of different context as a as a marketing leader. So this will be fun.
0: Yeah, and, and for those SaaS aficionados, I know there's many listening. You probably know Anthony. You know, as one of the best CMOS in SaaS. CMO of Gainsight, he went to front, CMO front, CMO of the rocket ship, hop in, uh, but now Anthony is in the CEO and founder seat, which is interesting, so we we're going to talk a lot about this and you, you know his journey. But uh, Anthony, you know, I, I, I'll call you AK. I think a lot of people call you AK. It's, uh, uh, it's easier. Um, tell us the, now you're back, you, you know, I guess who, who is 2023, Anthony Canada?
1: Oh man. That's a a terrifying thought exercise. Um, I, you know, I'll start by saying I'm a, I'm a husband and father. Um, and I think that's sort of my, um, you know, more of where I'd put my sort of identity, but now, you know, through the work context, um, uh, I'm a student again, it's so much fun. So I went from, to your point, kind of running marketing teams for about, um, 12, 13 years now. Um, and, and, Becoming kind of a student of enterprise marketing and, or enterprise uh, marketing and enterprise software, studying a lot of the consumer marketing tactics, frankly, um, and figuring out ways to really stand out, build a brand that uh, that you know resonates, that breaks through the noise, and then kind of monetizing the thought leadership that we've developed um, into a pipeline and you know uh, different kind of revenue outcomes. That's sort of been the the playbook at Gainsight, you know and the others. Um, and so, you know, I know we're going to talk about this, but jumping into the, the founder seat, this is stuff I don't know going from zero to one is, and this is stuff, obviously you, you guys have built such a great community on, on both sides of this, but also for, for SaaS founders, um, it's, it's a student of learning everything from, you know, building a product from zero to one. How do you sort of like come up with a design kind of vision and get these ideas out of your head and onto Figma? Um, to maybe some boring things like bookkeeping and tax law and all of this sort of stuff. So, I've just been so energized um, by by the the process, by learning, um, by the team that we've developed, um, and the product that we're building, the problem that we're going to go and solve. Um, so, just super excited about 2023 and uh, everything to come.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, you know, eight years into the journey, first-time entrepreneur though, and what a what an opportunity just to learn continuously daily and through the highs and lows right but uh, i think i've I've never learned so much and um you know the things that i enjoy doing and and knots as well but uh, from that a question actually because like i i've always wanted to, i've always known that i wanted to be an entrepreneur um but it it took me until I was in my thirties to really kind of like find the thing and then act on the thing and have the drive to act on the thing. Uh, and, and I had a sales, 11 year sales career. So uh, my question is that you, you've had this marketing career and being a CMO, at, you, you know, three top SAS companies. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you were just waiting for that opportunity or, uh, yeah, tell us about that. Uh,
1: no, absolutely yeah. not. Um, in fact, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I put, um, you know, I think a lot of folks know Nick Meta, the CEO of Gainsight. Like I put him at the sort of like when I think about what an amazing CEO is, I think of Nick, um, and I knew just quite frankly, I I can't be Nick. I don't have it within me. To, he's a superhuman in terms of, you know, obviously all the, the business side, but just the way he scales his relationships and everything—it's quite quite incredible. Um, and so that's always been what's, what slowed me down, right? It's like, I, okay, well, that you know, I wish, but maybe that maybe I'm just not meant to, to kind of do that. And I think over the years, kind of distancing myself a little bit, you know, from, uh, or not distancing myself, but as I sort of like moved on from Gainsight, you know, working for other founders, like meeting other, uh, other CEOs, um, I think I was like, look, well, okay, if Nick's here and superhuman, but there's a lot of folks that aren't Nick that are finding success and they're building good businesses and all of that. And look, if I sort of challenged myself in this new era, which I was feeling sort of restless as a CMO if I challenge myself in this, this kind of new position and sort of aspire to be, you know, a, a NICMEDA or kind of in the Meta school of leadership, um, I think I can potentially do well. But that all that to said, that was sort of, I think, the environmental kind of back of my head kind of thought process. And I think we'll dive deeper into this. But it was when the problem became so annoying and there wasn't a solution where I was like, gosh, like, how has no one solved this thing before? Um, and having kind of built in-house solutions over time, now I had the marriage of like an idea an opportunity and that sort of, um, vocational kind of career calling to, to step into that new role. So that, that's where it was sort of like hit me on the side of the head, kind of a thing. Like I, I have to do this, um, kind of take that step. And as you know, you know, eight years ago, a courageous step forward and putting yourself out there, but kind of felt like just had to, um, had to do it.
0: Yeah, and especially, I mean, like you got two young kids, right? And I, I yep. mean, I had one, I had one on the way, and it was like Congrats, the, yeah. the, the message was no, I, I had one on, on the way, no more. You oh, had no one on the way, yeah. yeah, no more. But 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 the message was like, I'm going to give up my executive career, uh, and I'm going to try and start a business, and we're going to stop the only income in the household. Uh, but this is going to work, and then you know having to sell that to you know your partner. Who yeah. is expecting? You know, w- was kind of pretty tough. So, I mean, did like personally for you, was there a kind of similar situation? You got two kids, and it's like, hey, like mm-hmm. you know, I'm a well paid CMO. I'm assuming you're well paid, uh, you know. And then it's like, I'm going to do this thing, and you know, maybe we're not going to get the same kind of income right now. Yeah. Um, how, how did that go down in, in the household?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, thankfully there was support. Now my wife's been amazing yeah. and, and a big champion of this, and so there wasn't sort of headwind. But she's like, yeah. I mean, I had to sort of tell her like, we're gonna get paid close to nothing, you know, and and we're gonna, you know, kind of risk it and live a little bit off of savings and and try to figure out how you know how to get there. And and so, um, it and it was hard. And for sure, I think that the, I think the important thing is the mentality going into a season like this, where for me, um, again, like I am. I have so much conviction behind what we're doing and that's and so much fulfillment behind going to work every day. And I think that is something for entrepreneurs that, um, you know, there, there's, I'm not, not suggesting there's a reason we, that's the reason we do this, but there is this sort of greater purpose to I think my role now than it was as an operator. Um, and so that fuels me for sure, but I have to sort of keep even now, even in the crazy boundaries in place and, remind myself, as I did at the opening of this podcast, that was more for me than, than for the listeners, that I'm a husband and father first, that I have to maintain that balance. I have to ensure that we can build a great business that's, that's solving real problems in the market and also be present with my kids. And so it was more about that conversation than it was the financial. Um, and thankfully, again, you know, she's been a great partner to help us build the right rhythms in place. And what's pretty pretty cool as the founder is even operationalizing some rhythms in the culture of our very young company. Um, bar, I borrowed this one from Gainsight, but we have one day a week where we don't do anything. No email, no uh, Slack, no communication. Folks are welcome to work and catch up if, if that's what they want to do. But the idea is to be totally present with whatever it is that we want to do. Be with our children, be with our partner, be with our loved ones, go pursue a hobby, whatever, for at least one day a week. So that's where I think the I think we've done a decent job of saying, okay, how do we build this company the right way and enable our teammates to also have that balance? Um, that so far, at least, that's been more of the of the goodness than the financial kind of component. That's still very stressful, but you know, I think we're very um, we're just such big believers in what we're doing that I think it'll work itself out on that front.
0: I love that. I mean, just a couple of things quickly. I, I could, well, I could almost see this turning into a three-hour podcast, but we, we <laughs> don't have the time for that. But on, on the uh, husband and father first and being present, I mean, it's great that you know you're thinking about that, not only reminding yourself that, but but thinking and acting that. Because many entrepreneurs, you know, in, including myself, you often get really fully consumed by mm-hmm. the business. That it can be really hard to be present, and I, I've heard many stories and seen many and know many people that. This has impacted their relationships and their marriages and ended up in divorce and it's regrets ridiculous. of like, oh, I didn't spend enough time with my kids because I was all in on the business. And it's really hard to find that balance. I'm definitely personally doing a better job now than, you, you know, I, I have been, yeah. but I'm not always present. And I, I know that. And it must be frustrating for, uh, you, you know, for your partner. Um, and on the, the, the one day, I love that one day a week where you can do anything. I and mean, just to clarify, so effectively you're saying you're a four day a week business. Oh, and, No? Oh, no? No.
1: Uh, it's still a five day a week business, but okay. you know how it is. Like on Saturday, you get that email from your CEO, I, from your CFO or that yeah. sales deal that needs to be pushed across the finish line. Yeah. And our mind just goes into work and our like, you know, uh, physiological kind of responses like trigger gotcha. like stress and all of these types of things. And so, yeah. um, think of it almost like I haven't figured out quite how to do this yet but like disconnecting email and, and Slack at the server level for 24 yeah. hours on a Saturday, just to give people some
0: space. Okay, makes sense, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, look, tell, tell us a little bit about the, so uh, you worked Gainsight, Front, Hopin. Let me actually ask a little bit about Hopin because obviously you yeah. saw that, um, I saw that you, it's big news for me, somebody that follows SAS, that Anthony Kennedy left Gainsight and he went to Front. And then 18 months, uh, and I thought, okay, he's picked a you know a rocket ship sort of winner here, yeah. um, you, you know, and you know, uh, earned your shares at Gainsight. Wanted something new, uh, and then fastest growing SaaS company on the planet appears hires you as the CMO, obviously because also from what I understand, you, you know, your your mission and the, your passion of events, I think, really quite tied in to hop in, yeah. and probably an opportunity too too good to refuse. But it it was it wasn't that long of a, a, a tenure, and I think like for for uh, the listeners as well, if they know, Hopin was providing like virtual events uh, platform, boomed during COVID, was you know the fastest growing SaaS company on the planet, and then since COVID ended, and I think everybody knew it was it was going to end, um, you know, have had a series of of cuts within the company, and perhaps have struggled to adapt to the non-COVID world um, as quickly as perhaps they they should. But yeah, why, why did you join? Why did you leave? What was the experience yeah. there?
1: Well, man, I mean, you covered a lot of it. Why did I join? Um, yeah. You know, things like SaaS stock, like the Pulse kind of community that we had at Gainsight. Like that really is part of my biggest passion and what I get to do um, as a marketer. Um, and the idea of reinventing that industry or that format, especially at in early, what was it, I guess, or in 2020 when as you know well, the event industry was impacted so hard. Um, and so there was a chance to sort of speak into that, to, to gather that, that community and to serve them through our sort of software, but also our own programming and, and content and everything. And it felt very authentic, but also, you know, as you mentioned, an offer I couldn't refuse kind of a thing. And so I loved Front, loved everything, had, had frankly zero reason to leave, but was sort of pulled away by the, the romance of that idea um, of reinventing the event industry for the modern age. Um, and you're right. It we wa- I walked into the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was um, 100% of the leads came through the contact sales form. Um, and we didn't have enough salespeople or SDRs on the other end to fulfill the leads, to pick up the phone. So this was like a, a story, you know, that, that I think is, and maybe some other companies have, have done that, but I haven't seen anything like that before in my career. And so really my charter was to, okay, so let's start building some of the other stuff while we're also kind of optimizing the the inbound flow. Um, and so we, uh, you know, it was it was a really great run to your point. I think there was, you know, a lot of, I, I'd say just giving, giving Hoppin some credit. Like we didn't have a lot of benchmarks for how to manage growth in a season where all of the benchmarks were being written, right? In the sense of there was a... Uh, pandemic that was fueling a lot of, you know, folks to go go online. Uh, and so then you start applying like SaaS metrics on top of that. And you're starting to create like, you know, all right, how do we go if we went from zero to 65 million in ARR in one year, which is wild, what do we do next year? How do we go from 65 to what? And you're applying kind of benchmarks. It's really difficult to kind of forecast growth. And I think over time, we, we you know, collectively made some some miscalculations there. So why did I leave? I think there was two kind of components. One, Kind of seeing that we were kind of headed into this this darker chapter um, <clears throat> and frankly not, not kind of seeing kind of how we were going to, uh, economics aside, like the product vision, like where we were really headed. Like I didn't see kind of that um, uh, sort of a, uh, the, how the story would evolve in a way that made sense. But as that was happening too was really this, the birth of this new idea that I was kind of mentioning to you um, and sort of the, the hunger, the, to, to start something. And so I would say it was, you know, partially the, the sort of walking away from Hopin but it was a, a lot more of me running towards this opportunity. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think that's, that's, uh, fr- frankly what it was and I wish them the best. I think, you know, um, you know, th- they've got some, still some really good people there. Um, but I think that, Realizing that there's a big hole in the market for something um, that still, I think, speaks to to my heart, not necessarily on the event side directly, but this idea of building thought leadership, activating an audience, building a community, and using all of that goodness and value exchange to actually impact the business. That's still, Hobbin did that to some extent. And I think that um, this new company is going to be like right on the nose with it.
0: So, what are the lessons from building Audience Plus to date? You know, the good, the bad, and the
1: ugly. Yeah. I think the good I'll start with is um, this idea of building in public um, is one that I think we've seen a lot in the consumer world, the direct uh, D to to C world as well, e-commerce. And what I mean by that is basically being very transparent, not sort of being necessarily afraid of competition and sharing your story, being vulnerable. Um, That has actually... (laughs) counterintuitively turned out to be really a great idea for us. And I I think I hinted towards this earlier, but it was a chance for us to put ourselves in the shoes of our customer using our own product, gain a lot of empathy, um, be able to educate the market about our our category or just kind of the problem that we want to solve and gather an audience of people who, um, you know, who care about this topic. Um, So that wasn't something we went in saying, Hey, we're going to do this part of our product was done or at least, you know, in a good enough shape to, to ship. And so we shipped kind of the front end of audience plus, uh, while we're sort of building the, a lot of the back end capabilities. Um, so I think the encouragement there is to the extent it makes sense for your business, if there is sort of a public facing version of your SaaS product or whatever, you know, not being afraid to kind of put yourself out there and start kind of capturing feedback along the way. That, see, that, that worked out quite well. Um, the bad, oh man! I, you know, I can't tell if this is bad or ugly. But um, you know, coming into this, one of the things that I thought was the way you build an audience is to effectively deplatform your your audience off of social, which still is to, to some extent, I think, uh, a big part of the strategy. You've got, you know, what we refer to as rented channels, so your social media content networks like YouTube or Spotify, SEO anywhere where you're actually relying on someone else in order to get distribution or get reach of your content. Um, and I thought it was just as easy as, oh, okay, we just like post a link to our blog and then people go to the blog and then they like it and then they sign up or whatever. Uh, turns out not the case. It turns out these algorithms are, all of them are effectively working against us Um, they are limiting our organic reach, um, and want to keep people on property. And so the, um, an example of this is if you ever go on LinkedIn, you see sort of what's sort of becoming maybe a little annoying, like a post that has like one sentence and a line break, one sentence, a line break, no link. And then an hour later, a link in the comments, these are marketers or creators or whoever who are trying to basically hack the LinkedIn algorithm to get reach. And I found if, if, uh, if I post a link in my post, I'll get like a fifth or less of the impressions that normally would get um, if I don't. And so I think the, the, the lesson there for us is it's not quite that easy. It's more of a, of a battle with some of these rented channels um, in order to deplatform. And there's been a lot of great research. We've produced some content around um, how to do that, how to sort of build algorithmic capital with LinkedIn, let's say, and then slowly start uh, peeling your audience away. There are ways to do it, but I had uh, I thought it was a lot more straightforward uh, than than it turns out it is. And what's been nice is that's actually even more validation um, for the business that we're building. Saying, "Hey, like, you gotta do, you gotta be where your audience is in these rented channels." But you can't build a business relying on these other people, other companies that don't have your interests in mind, in order to uh, to monetize and, and sell your products. Um, ugly, I'll just say, uh, Anthony behind a spreadsheet doing bookkeeping is you do, that is a bad, very ugly situation. Uh, so finding a great partner, um, agency consultant or otherwise to take, uh, take me at least out of the, the kind of accounting process.
0: Yeah. 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 Good, some good, um, good things there to touch on. I mean, just quickly, obviously I love the fact that you're building an audience whilst you're still, you're building the product and uh, you know, kind of in stealth and, uh, you know, before you launch it. I think it makes a lot of sense from with what you're doing uh, and your background to do that. I think you also mentioned if it makes sense for your business, you you know, you, you should look to do that. Certainly like Sastock, um, I was building an audience, as you know, I think like with Sasscribe, before I actually knew what Sastock was going to be. So we built the audience first and then we were able, the audience told us that they wanted Sastock and then it was like, okay, and then we built what they wanted you you know after kind of 12 months which was which was really good um and i think like drift was quite similar um you know they, they built the brand built the audience you, you know uh before they actually like one year later launched you, you know and uh certainly some similarities there so i think, i don't know if I, I don't know if too few saas companies actually take the opportunity to do that but whilst they're building they could start to potentially build that audience um maybe you got better insights there Uh, than I have. So I I don't see it that often. I don't see it that often, I have to say. Uh,
1: I don't see it that often yet. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the best, I think, B2B marketers are uh, really good at pattern matching. And what we find is that um, the consumer world is about five years ahead of the enterprise software world. And then the D2C world is maybe 18 months to two years ahead of us. Um, And so, you know, just matching that, okay, if this is how the changing expectation with consumers, with how they engage with content, how they um, engage with companies that they follow. We know the Gen Z generation cares deeply about um, companies that align with their values and their purpose and their their sort of um, sort of the, maybe the softer side of, of, of building a business. Um, if you're able to capitalize on that um, by being vulnerable, being transparent and talking about that stuff um it, it it feels novel but it's been proven i guess in other industries and so just being able to say how can we bring that into b2b how do we bring that into the SaaS world um you know i, I guess what i'm trying to say is we sound like maybe geniuses but we're not we just did what other companies have done and just brought it to to SaaS. and like i told you offline alex uh every company is now going to do what SaaS talk did in the sense like you you guys were the pioneers for For building that audience and then kind of over time kind of you know building added products and services, so um you know we we're, we're all now learning from you and 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 you guys and your industry for how how this um, how this is going to take shape
0: no' oh, you're, you're too kind, but obviously I, I also believe that uh you know the same uh, kind of belief that you know every company will you know turn into this, the, a media business and uh, certainly leverage that a lot more on the on, on the ugly you behind the spreadsheets. I think yeah, a, lesson, a lesson I learned the hard way is like not bringing in, you, you know, uh, a, a finance controller or a bookkeeper uh, soon enough. You know, I think, I think I did this stock accounts, not like we had an accountant, but I, I did the books for about three years and it wasn't pretty. And, you know, on a Sunday I was doing the, you know, doing the bookkeeping and it was just stuff that I hated doing. So it wasn't my sweet spot. I wasn't the best at it. You know, things things looked a bit better when I got the got the pros in, uh, uh, for sure. So don't 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 hold on to it for too long, uh, for sure. And I want to jump in now uh, to to this topic that we spoke about and you know pre agreed on. Um, uh, Which segues nicely into a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about, like why SaaS companies. Uh, SaaS CEOs, you, you know, need to figure out owned media, and you know, if if they do, but where I think we're, we're assuming they do. So I, I guess kind of jumping into it, you know, should media like in 2023? And there's a lot of um, worry about the economy, and you know, lots of so many priorities, you, you know, uh, that a that a CEO has in in SaaS. But should media be a, a priority in today's economy with the headwinds that we're facing? Um, what, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think originally the the aspirational message that we were really clinging on to is this kind of like what HubSpot and others have really started to evangelize this idea that we're moving from this transactional way of acquiring customers, serving customers to a more relational way uh, of doing. So I think they refer to it as community led growth um, or something to that end on uh, on stage at Inbound this year. Um, and I think that's something that every marketer would get behind, like, yes, of course we want to all do that. Of course, we believe that, you know, leading with kind of brand and thought leadership, you know, makes a lot of sense and building relationship at scale. As I mentioned But this year, we're just trying to survive this year. We're just trying to do more with less. We're trying to hit our number, um, uh, with less resources, the number's not going down and the pressure's going up. So uh, I, I get that. I buy into that long-term vision, but uh, what is the short-term answer for me just to get to next quarter? Um, and what we've discovered is that the good, the good news in all of this is the same headwinds that are facing uh, marketers in 2023 are the same sort of roadblocks for our ability to become more relational. Um, and so we have this like really interesting um, uh, kind of opportunity to address kind of the core parts of the marketing engine today that don't have this sort of high cost and high barrier of entry to participate in um, and also set us up for more of this kind of relational future. I think we're going to dive into some of these things, but you know, the, the attention kind of economy and being able to break through and how do we use things like media to get our story told in the right formats and distributed to the right audiences. A changing relationship with paid media, and, and seeing a lot of uh, stories in the market of companies moving away from paid and doubling down on own media. Um, uh, the algorithms we mentioned, the 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 bad of my experience, like we're all facing this. You know, we don't get uh, any sort of rich engagement data from you know these third party networks. We get number of views or impressions or listens, and we know that we have to like fight the algorithm in order to get our our story told. And the, third, or the fourth bit is uh, building the sort of first-party data set. So third-party cookies are going to be completely removed from Google Chrome, which represents the biggest kind of cohort of, of web traffic in 2024. And so building a first-party database is existential to our ability to even, even do B2B marketing in this next chapter. Um, so I think there's all four of those headwinds are things that are getting in our way today from hitting the target, hitting the numbers that we need to. Um, and also, I think they're the four things that really set us up well for achieving the vision that HubSpot and others have have paid, paved for us with a more relational, community led uh, future.
0: Let, let, let's pick on some of those points. And so, like paid media, um, you may, I think you mentioned it's becoming more expensive. Yeah. Uh, so, what does that mean? You know, what is the impact uh, if, if you're a SaaS company?
1: Yeah. So, I think it, I think all of us, if you're a SaaS marketer or leadership position. You've had that conversation with your CFO, FP&A, whoever, coming into 2023, where they looked at your marketing programs budget, and of course, you know, in some cases, your headcount budget as well. And they bring out the red pen and they say, Hey, here's your number, get to this number. And often on the program budget, the highest kind of bucket, the biggest bucket of spend falls under paid media. And this could be Google PPC or search marketing, it could be LinkedIn, you know, it could be retargeting, even though that's going away now with with uh, third party cookies, or at least in the same, same kind of way. Um, and so it's the most scrutinized line item in the program spend because it's probably the biggest. Now, how do we deploy that spend? We typically defend our brand terms on Google um, and we'll bid on some industry keywords. And what's happening is our competitors are bidding against our brand terms. Um, everyone is bidding against a very small subset of keywords. And so it's driving up the cost to participate in paid, uh, paid media in general. Beyond that, what I found is what we do is we fine tune the landing page on the other end of a paid media campaign and we optimize for conversion. And so we get a lot of people actually filling out the form. But that cohort of pipeline is the lowest converting pipeline all the way to revenue. And so not only is this the biggest spend we have, it's actually the least impactful or the least uh, effective spend Relative to content marketing, organic kind of brand, some of the things that are more, quote, relational in scale. Now, uh, there's a lot of great companies uh, that have sort of like tested this. And the most famous one literally yesterday came out in the news was Airbnb that actually moved their spend away from paid and put it all in owned media from search marketing specifically as part of paid put it in owned media and they beat earnings now every single quarter and are running much more efficiently and achieving the same results, uh, if not better. So I think that's the sort of lesson for us is I think there's a place for paid, especially as you think about the, the LinkedIn's and the social kind of platforms, which effectively are advertising platforms, right? I mean, I think can conceive of them in that way. Think about them like that versus the sort of organic, you know, major kind of organic opportunity. But, um, uh that is sort of shifting our focus it's helping us run more efficiently when we deprioritize paid in favor of spending a fraction of that budget on things like content creation and um owned distribution
0: and you also mentioned about third party cookies uh going away so when will this happen uh, and, and what's the yep. impact there
1: already blocked on most major browsers google chrome is the last one obviously there they have a lot of, a lot at stake here to to you know Keep, keep the money coming in. Um, and 2020, it keeps getting pushed back. It was supposed to be this year. And so now it's 2024 that it's going to go away. Look, there, there's a lot of, of major impact. And by the way, for, for consumers, this is a great thing. Uh, you know, the, the sort of annoying ads that follow you on LinkedIn after you say something on Alexa in your living room or whatever, like all of that sort of thing. The creepiness, I think, is going to be much, much more controlled and subdued. Um, however, for marketers, it presents a pretty big problem specifically we think about uh, retargeting, display ad network retargeting. Um, what we've done is if somebody hits our blog or what our website through long tail search, we'll cookie them. And then we'll f- sort of follow them in the display networks on Forbes or Entrepreneur or you know where, whatever they're spending their time online to win back that traffic. So somebody finds... You know, um, a, a blog post when they're searching, they eventually then see an ad unit for our, our company, they come back, they become a, 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 a opt-in member of our database or whatever. Um, that's effect well, that's going away as we know it to, to be frank. And so that budget is is now at stake to sort of reclaim and find another way to drive traffic. And so I would bucket that under the content distribution use case um, of of third party cookies. But in general, our ability to kind of close the feedback loop with paid media is going to be more complex when we're not passing uh, cookies around. Um, so it's, it's something we're not talking about enough, but is actually going to cause, I think, some pretty significant um, damage to our ability to generate pipeline and kind of convert traffic the, second, the, only, the first time they hit our site.
0: You, you also mentioned uh, at uh, Inbound HubSpot's conference um, talked about community-led growth. And HubSpot, yeah. is it like two years ago or less, they bought The Hustle, uh, yeah. uh, Sampar's The Hustle? Um, and, uh, yeah, so we've seen like a few instances of SaaS companies buying, what effectively media companies or, yeah. or commu- communities, right? I think did like even Gainsight. I mean, they bought Insighted, which kind of had a community yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, with it as well. So like, why what are your thoughts around, around this? And you, you know, this is like us or SaaS companies stepping away from this more kind of transactional model and this community led future. What, what you know, what do yeah. you, what
1: do you say around that? Acquiring is a, is a good, good model. If you can, if you can do it, um, you know, what, what's great about acquiring it is not only are you buying the audience effectively, not only are you sort of leveraging the brand equity of that media brand into your SaaS brand. And so, um, you know, in doing so HubSpot is even more relevant and cool by, by being sort of associated with, with the hustle. So there's a lot of goodness there, but you're actually also acquiring a team that knows how to do this stuff. And, you know, we're learning a lot about how to do this stuff, but there you know, there's a reason these creators, you know, and influencers and others or whoever are, you know, well paid. It's not just their, you know, their followership, but their ability to engage that followership, to take a long form piece of content, be it a podcast episode like this and snip it up into short form video clips for TikTok and all that. So you're buying the DNA of, of a media company too. Um, so there, I think that's the, the benefit to the SaaS business. And then ultimately, you know, I, I think just, I'm, I'm not an expert in M&A or, or whatever, corp dev, but I think that unit economics work pretty well um, for, for doing a deal like that. Um, So that's, I think, the reason to buy uh, a SaaS company. And to your point, we're seeing, you know, late, late stage businesses, obviously public SaaS companies, you know, potentially acquiring. And then what we're seeing is is earlier stage companies or mid-market companies building this in-house kind of as an evolution of their content marketing team, Um, uh, typically, you know, through the lens of revenue marketing or demand. Versus the brand uh, teams, at least in kind of the cohort of of customers that we're really you know spending a lot of time with. Reason being, um, the traditional media company might be fairly focused around awareness, and so that's really helpful for a HubSpot or Salesforce Plus or Mailchimp presents or some of these other companies. But fundamentally, this is a efficient driver of growth, and I think that's an important nuance. For the listeners, uh, if you are saying this all sounds good, but we're not HubSpot, we can't acquire the hustle and we're investing as deeply in brand as we'd like to be because we have to hit our targets. Um, That's, I think, the, the opportunity for this strategy to be more widely adopted is to view it less as sort of brand and awareness and more as like a fundamental go to market motion for us.
0: Make, makes sense. And um, just moving into the quick fire round here, Anthony, so what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? Relationships, hands down. Uh, did you learn that from Nick?
1: Yes. <laughs> what What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, take the meeting. You know, I think for like for we get asked quite a bit for folks to get advice and all that sort of stuff. And I've done the best that I can. I'm not perfect to to say yes to some of those meetings. Um, people said yes to me when I was early in my career. And, um, so it's kind of a build maybe from the last question, but, but go ahead and take the meeting as often as you can.
0: What is the biggest failure you've made
1: and lesson learned? um, gosh, sorry. Pausing for dramatic effect. Um, I, you know, I think that there was a, I don't know if it's a big failure necessarily, but I think, I think, uh, we could have done a lot more at front, um, specifically to evangelize the category. Um, and I think just the time got cut short and there, you know, as I kind of moved on, but I would say that, um, I felt like there was some unfinished business, uh, there at front.
0: What's the hardest thing about building a startup in 2023?
1: (laughs) Um, managing cash, uh, stress around future unknowns with things like fundraising, not knowing what's, are we going to be in a, world war? Are we going to, you know, our good times back again? Like what's going to happen and sort of managing against, um, some extreme unknowns, I think is the the hardest thing. Uh,
0: what does your daily routine look like? Uh,
1: starting the day, uh, alone and, and quiet, um, uh, whether that's, you know, meditation or prayer or just kind of really centering kind of myself, um, having coffee, seeing the kids, um, and then, plugging in for a very intentional kind of work day and trying to hit the gym after work and, and make sure I'm home for dinner. Oh, very good.
0: Um, and finally, uh, as we wrap up, so obviously you're speaking at SAS.USA, uh, which is the first and second of June, 2023. Yeah. It's in Austin. Um, so we're going to make Austin our second home. You know, Dublin yeah. is our, our first home and I, I'm super excited about that. Um, apart from Coming to see Audience Plus for the first time and getting a demo yeah. live from uh, the man himself, which I'm going to get uh, done if I don't see it beforehand. Why should people <laughs> come to Sassel USA? And you know, what are your thoughts around Austin as well?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, to me, this is the F1 move, right? Like we're planting in, in Austin. Like you know, we're bringing this this European and, and global phenomenon to the US, and, and what better place than Austin to um, to to really start that um, uh, you know local movement here? Um, so you should come because. It's an incredible city, and obviously, you surely, if you're listening, you've heard of the incredible work that Alex and team have done at Sastock. But you know, we're in a season of an industry where we need community, we need to belong, and we need to lean on each other um, to figure out how are we going to, as we've talked about, grow this year, but then also set our teams up for success, kind of as we accelerate out of this this season. And so, in v- coming to things like Sastock, this is where we get equipped and this is where we build relationship and where we're we leave austin in a much better position um to to show up to work on monday but also to bring new ideas and kind of new relationships to the table so uh, i i think you you have to be there beyond audience plus and and all that like you have to be a part of this um uh, as we think about kind of how we're going to grow in this year
0: awesome uh thanks for that anthony where where can people find you and audience plus online learn more about yeah
1: best place actually is audienceplus.com. And so if you go and subscribe there, you know, we have our content, as I mentioned, and a, a, a weekly newsletter that we send out with insights. We have exclusive events and experiences. We have merch that's coming out. Um, and so that's the best place to connect with, with us. And I do most of my kind of communication there, but of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, kind of all your, all your, uh, social networks of choice as well.
0: Awesome. Great stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person at USA. Uh, obviously, looking and uh, learning more about Audience Plus um, you know, before then. Um, and so thank you so much, Anthony Canada, CEO and founder of Audience Plus, for being a great guest on the SAS Revolution show uh, today. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS.com conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at SaaStock.com.